Today we're dealing with a uh, topic that many people cope with in their life. Some, most in varying degrees. Some on a very small degree, some on a great degree. Uh, some to a very minimal, some to the extreme. And Elijah, here in 1 Kings 19, is dealing with depression. And depression is something real. For many, many, many years, many people didn't know how uh, to deal with depression. They're still trying to figure out this whole ordeal that, that is called depression. When I start off this morning, I'm not going to start off quite in the scripture yet. We'll get there. You're probably thinking he's got 18 verses. Where is he going to start? Well, uh, I'm going to start with explaining to you what depression is. Depression is a clinically proven illness that is very serious. Some have mild cases while others deal with extreme cases. And here are a few insights in the issue of depression. Depression symptoms can vary from mild to severe. They can include feeling sad or having a depressed mood. We'll find that out about Elijah. Loss of interest or pleasure in activities once enjoyed. Elijah also has that issue as well. Changes in appetite, weight loss or gain unrelated to dieting, trouble sleeping or sleeping too much, loss of energy or increased fatigue, uh, increase in purposeless physical activity or slowed movements or speech, feeling worthless or guilty, which is one we see in Elijah, difficulty thinking, concentrating or making decisions, and in very clearly defined by the scripture today is the thoughts of death or suicide. Depression affects an estimated 1 in 15 adults in any given year. And 1 in 6 people will experience depression at some time in their life. Depression can occur at any time, but on average first appears during the late teens to mid-20s. Women are more likely than men to experience depression. Some studies show that one-third of women will experience a major depressive episode in their lifetime. There's a high degree, high degree of heritability, which means it's going to come down through, through your heritage, when first-degree relatives, that is parents, children, or siblings, have depression. The death of a loved one, loss of a job, or the ending of a relationship are difficult experiences for a person to endure. It is normal for feelings of sadness or grief to develop in response to such situations. Those experiencing loss often might describe themselves as being depressed. But I want you to understand depression is different from grief or sadness. It's different. It's not the same. Being sad is not the same as depression. The grieving process is natural and unique to each individual and shares some of the same features as depression does. We know Ecclesiastes tells us that, that grief is something that we'll experience or we may experience with someone. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.4, there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. So there are times for those things, but depression is different. Both grief and depression may involve intense sadness and withdrawal from usual activities. They are also different in important ways. In grief, painful feelings come in waves, often intermixed with positive memories of the deceased. In major depression, mood and or interest are decreased 
for most of two weeks. Two weeks is the, is the tell-on sign as to whether or not it's depression or just grief. In grief, self-esteem is usually maintained. In major depression, feelings of worthlessness and self-loathing are common. In grief, thoughts of death may surface when thinking of or fantasizing about joining the deceased loved one. In major depression, thoughts are focused on ending one's life due to feeling worthless or undeserving of living or being unable to cope with the pain of depression. Grief and depression can coexist for some people. The death of a loved one, losing a job, or being a victim of a physical assault or a major disaster can lead to depression. When grief and depression co-occur, the grief is more severe and lasts longer than grief without depression. Distinguishing between grief and depression is important and can assist people in getting the help, support, and treatment they need. As a minister called by God, there are things I can help you with here in the office. I can help you. But I am not trained as some counselors are trained to deal with such deep depressions. I want you to know the Word of God can help you tremendously. But sometimes the Word of God also encourages us to use the wisdom and knowledge that God has given to people on this earth to be able to help minister to us. When I say minister, it doesn't always mean from a uh, religious standpoint. Now, there are religious counselors. Matter of fact, we have one here in Walker County at the Walker Baptist Association up on Walston Bridge Road. There is a Christian organization of counseling by Pathways Counseling. It's put out by the Baptist, uh, the State Baptist Convention and the, the, Baptist, uh, the Baptist, Alabama Baptist Home. If you need counseling, you can start with me. But there's some things that I may not be able to answer for you. There's some things that that counselor may not be able to answer for you. But I do want you to understand, you do have avenues and you do have places you can go to get help. Don't think that you're isolated. That's what the devil wants to tell you. The devil wants you to get alone. He wants you to listen to his lies, his accusations. And wants to bury you down in depression. But I want to tell you, the Lord wants to see you come out of that. The Lord wants to see you walk. It may be slow. Some people can come out of grief. Some people can come out of mourning. Some people can come out of depression very quickly. Other people, it takes a lot of time. And I want you to understand, you are not alone. And you do not have to be isolated in your grief and in your hurt. And sometimes in your depression. God comes to Elijah. Elijah is in a dark place. And you may say, how can he be in a dark place? He just destroyed the prophets of Baal. Now listen, understand, Elijah didn't do that. God did. But Elijah was the vessel by which that victory came. And I want you to understand today that depression can come on after victories. And I want us to look at today how that can happen, how depression can come on after victories. We're going to look at how depression can be softened through personal care. And I also want us to look at how depression can be overcome by the presence of God. That's all found here in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. 
Now, as we look at this, I'm not going to read this whole text at one time. But we see here, beginning in verse 1, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods, notice she does not say God of Israel, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, talking about the priests that were slaughtered by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, when he saw the message or heard it, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Depression can come on after victories. Depression can come on after victories. We look at these first four verses and we look at the four primary characters in this account. The four personalities. We have Ahab, we have Jezebel, we have Elijah, and we have the Lord. They're all going to be evidenced and present in this text that we're looking at today. And in our lives, many a times, we have the puppet who's going to run around and say things, which is Ahab. We're going to have the one that stands behind them that empowers them to be trouble, which is Jezebel. We're going to have ourselves who are trying to determine where do we fit after a victory, where do we fit? And then you have God who says, you, go, you fit where I place you. You fit where I place you. But so many times, we run in fear before we stand in faith. We run in fear before we stand in faith. Ahab, right there in that first verse, we see that. Ahab returns to his wife, and he does not proclaim the victory of the God of Israel. But what he does proclaim, he gives a skewed uh, a skewed perspective of the loss to Baal's prophets and Asherah, doesn't he? He doesn't say, oh, Jezebel, you should have seen it. The God of Israel licked up the entire altar, sticks, rocks, the, the, the sacrifice, all the water there was in a trench around. He didn't tell him that. He says, you should have seen what Elijah did to your prophets, to Baal and Asherah. Still a spineless coward is Ahab. Nothing's changed about him. So here he is, and he's going back, and in doing so, Jezebel is enraged. She is mad. All her friends that sat around her table are dead. Wouldn't you be upset if all your idols got destroyed all at one time? Mm. Especially when you didn't want to run where you should have been running in the first place. But that's the problem here. Well, then she makes this claim. She says in verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, Let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the, as, as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, take you down by a river, and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do it to you. I, but you know what's interesting? You know what's interesting is this. We, we see that Jezebel... You know, she wasn't only an evil woman. She was a shrewd strategist. She was a shrewd strategist. This lady, she knew how to make the most of Baal's defeat on Mount Carmel. 
Elijah was not a very, excuse me, Elijah was not a very popular man. Like Moses, he, he was a very popular man. Excuse me, I don't know why I've got that word in there. He was a very popular man at this time. People knew about him. The people of Israel knew him. They were looking to him. What is he going to do next? Well, like Moses, he had brought down fire from heaven. And like Moses, he had slain the idolaters. Moses did that. Then Jezebel, if, if Jezebel transforms him into a martyr, there may be more people to follow him than there were if it was just after the sacrifice, after, after all that happened there on Mount Carmel. No, the people, what they were doing, the people were waiting to see what Elijah would do next. So the best thing for Jezebel to do was to remove him from the situation, remove him from, from the vicinity, get him away from those people. We don't need them encouraged to do what they know they should be doing now. And if I can remove him from the situation, then what will happen is they'll slip right back into Baal worship. When the prophet of God is removed from his place by fear, instead of standing in his place by faith and saying what needs to be said, the people scatter. And the people will go back to false gods. When you have pastors stand in a pulpit who don't preach the word as the word needs to be preached, and, and you have false teachers coming in, oh, they're going to falter, flitter. They're going to go anywhere they can. They're going to listen to every loose cannon and every loose mouth out there that's willing to say whatever. you got to follow the word of God. Follow the prophet of God. Follow, number one, the word of God. Because even as a preacher myself, you may say, Blake, I didn't quite hear that right. Can, can I talk to you about that after the service? Sure. If you didn't hear it right, let's talk about it. Because if I'm in error, we need to get that fixed, and we need to get that fixed to the congregation. Because just as Christ is the great shepherd, and he makes us lie down in green pastures so we may eat, we need to be, as, as the preacher, I need to be putting you in a field where the grass is green, and you can eat and be fed and be healthy. And if I'm coming out of the word wrong, here's the green field. And if I'm not laying you down in the word of God so you can partake of this, I need some help. Somebody needs to point me in the right direction. So here is Elijah. And, and Jezebel's like, I'm going to have to get him off the scene. i got to get him out of here so that they won't have a shepherd to tell them where to lie down. I want them to filter back toward me. And filter back toward my gods. And Jezebel, listen, Jezebel may have suspected that Elijah was a candidate for physical and emotional breakdown after his demanding day on Mount Carmel. And she was right. She was right. He was human as we are human. And as the ancient church fathers used to say to their disciples, beware of human reactions after holy exertions. After we have put out and we, are exerted our, and we have exerted ourselves, we are spiritually tired. And sometimes we become spiritually ignorant to what may happen next. We've got to stay on guard, aware in the Word of God. So that we may be able to, be able to deflect the fiery darts of the evil one, as Scripture tells, of Satan. We've got to stay aware. We've got to stay on our feet. Listen, after we have seen God do a great victory in our lives, we are likely to bend to the idea that it was our victory. Or that the victory was so great, we'll never attain to such a place again. And both of those reactions are based on you and me. Both of those reactions are based on you and me. Christ is the thrust of our victory. 
Christ is the thrust of our victory. Let us never get that confused. We are not the thrust of the victory. And let us also remember that the devil is a clever adversary. He is an absolutely clever adversary who knows our weaknesses. We must be alert to his scheming and restful in God's healing. Allow the Lord to receive his glory and allow yourself the opportunity to praise him for it. Then there's the confession. Okay? And from, from the narrative of this account, Elijah was afraid. He arose and read from his life. He said he saw that he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And this, this might sound crazy, but every time I read this per- portion of text, I think of the Flock of Seagulls song. Y'all remember that song? And I ran, I ran so far away, and I ran, I ran so far away. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Y'all are like, he's all serious, and then he's talking about a flock of seagulls. But, but that's what I think about. Here's Elijah. He ran. He ran so far away, but he couldn't get away. And uh, anyway, sorry, I just had to interject that. But I, I feel like this is the emotion Elijah felt. He's like, I'm so scared. I'm going to run. I'm going to run so far away. But I couldn't get away. He said, I ran all night and day is what the song says. I ran all night and day. And if you look at it, he, he must have ran all night and day because it was a long way from Jezreel to Beersheba. That's a long run. And he ran. The scripture tells us he ran to Beersheba. This was within the territory of the tribe of Judah. And it was a sanctuary in the time of Amos. It may have been the same in the time of Elijah. That's what Dumelo says in the one-volume Bible commentary. You know, from Jezreel to Beersheba, it was 90 to 100 miles. And I ran. (laughs) I ran so far away. I mean, driving 90 to 100 miles is a pretty good distance. Could you imagine running for your life in fear? Fear will make us run ahead of God's leading. And prior to this situation specifically, Elijah had only moved at the word of the Lord. But here we find Elijah moving at the fear of the queen. When God is for us, nothing can be against us. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have opposition. What that means is there will be no opposition that can overcome us. Oh, there can be things that come against us. But there's nothing that can come against us that can overcome us. Because we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, right? That's what the scripture says. So if we rest in him, no matter what comes at us, the trials, the temptations... We could say, I rest in him. Doesn't mean it ain't going to be hard. Doesn't mean the temptation and the trial does not exist. You can't stick your head in 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 a hole in the ground and think it doesn't exist. It does exist. But the thing is, who are you existing with? Are you existing with Christ? That fear will run us away from God while faith will run us to God. But once in Bathsheba, he left his servant in the town and headed out to the wilderness and about a day's journey, and he prayed to the Lord. Now, here we go. Elijah has gone back to what he should have been doing in the first place. He's, he's getting his get, bearings back about him. And importantly, he's getting his bearings back about the Lord. He has separated himself from distractions, and he's gone out into the wilderness to pray. And as Elijah settled himself under the juniper tree's shade, he did a wise thing. He prayed. And that's what we need to do. I mean, sometimes fear will cause us to run somewhere. But once you you settle down, get your bearings about you, settle down and pray. Settle down and pray. 
But he didn't pray a very wise prayer, did he? No, he didn't. He said, I've had enough, he told the Lord. Then he gave his reason. I'm not better than my father's. But you know, God never asked him to be better than his father's. He didn't ask him to be better than anybody else. But only to hear his word and obey it. You know, this is a similar problem we run into. We do things our previous generation has done, but don't experience the same outcome and view ourselves as failures. Let me say that again, because I, I, I think we need to hear that. I need to hear that. We do things our previous generations have done, but don't experience the same outcome and view ourselves as failures. Every generation has generational challenges and changes. Elijah did what the Lord told him to do up until this moment. He hid, he cared for the lady, he fed them, he confronted Ahab, he called out all by the word of the Lord. He did all those things. But then he ran, but not by the word of the Lord, but by the fear of man, or better yet, the fear of a woman. He ran. We must trust the Lord in safety and in peril. God is good no matter who comes against us or what obstacle hinders us. Trust the goodness in the almighty hand of God and see his omnipotent hand in defense of his people. Trust him. Trust him. You know, God also wants us to be his, to be his by his command, not be someone else's by comparison. Don't be someone else's by comparison. When we begin comparing, we begin failing. Do as God has instructed you and trust him to the outcome. Elijah compares this action against his father's. God didn't call Elijah to, to be or do as his fathers, but to be and do as the father commanded. God doesn't call you to be your mom and daddy. God doesn't call you to be somebody else. God calls you to be you. God calls you to do what he says for you to do. Elijah says, I'm not like my fathers. I failed. God's like, I didn't call you to do what your fathers did. If you did what your fathers did, I wouldn't, if you, your fathers did what I told them to do, I wouldn't need you to be doing what you're doing now. You look at Josiah later on. Josiah had to tear down all the, the altars because of what his family had done before him. God calls each and every person to do something a little bit different. That's the reason why each and every one of us are needed in the church. Because he calls each and every one of us and gifts each and every one of us slightly different. Some might be the same. Some might be absolutely polar opposites. But God calls each and every one of us to do something. And God told Elijah, don't worry about what I'm telling somebody else to do. You do what I tell you to do. Peter one time had that same problem, didn't he? He said, well, what about him? Pointed John. And God, Jesus said to him, what's that to you? You follow me. What's that to you? Elijah's so worried about things that's happened in the past that he's not worried about following Christ in the present. You want to be depressed? Compare yourself to things that have happened in the past that were successful. We got we to gotta figure out what's successful now. Our culture is absolutely different than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Ministering to students today is totally different than it was when I first started ministering to students Oh, about 20-something years ago. Very different. There wasn't a cell phone in a kid's hand when I first started 
ministering to students. Wasn't a cell phone in their hand. Now you can't hardly have a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night class without the cell phone in their hand. I'm telling you, it's a different dynamic. And parents as well. You know, it's the truth. Don't compare. Comparison is a trap. Listen, this, this depression that came after the victory, many experience. Many experience. We go from a very high high to a very low low. But in both of those locations, find comfort in that Christ is with you. Christ is with you. Scripture tells us in Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. God is with us. Even after the big victories, God is with us in the victories and he's with us after the victories. God is with us. Take heart. We will all struggle at times with depression. He is dealing with depression, but take heart. God is with you. God is with you. When we go to Christ after the victories, he will give us time to replenish he will give us, he, he will touch us, he will give us safe travels, and he will give us good conversation. That's what the Lord will do when we go to him after the victories. And, and in verses 5 through 10, we see that depression can be softened through personal care. Depression can be softened through personal care. Let's look at verses 5 through 10. It says, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Notice that's kind of a reference to him being the next Moses, those 40 days and 40 nights. But, and there he went, verse 9, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. You hear that? He alone is left. Now, what did we read about Obadiah a few weeks ago? Obadiah hid a hundred prophets, 50 in one cave and 50 in another cave. He's not alone. But depression will lie to you. I'll get to that in a minute, but depression will lie to you. There is, as we look at this in the first part of verse 5 and then on into 6 and 7, we see that God approves time to replenish our lives in our personal care. Look at what it says there in verse 5. It says, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, arise me. He didn't touch him and say, what are you doing, Elijah? Get up, you lazy bum. He didn't say that, did he? No, he said, arise and eat. I want you to understand that the, 
Warren Wearsby says this about Elijah. He says, the combination of emotional burnout, weariness, hunger, and a deep sense of failure, plus lack of faith in the Lord, had brought Elijah into deep depression. Wearsby goes on to say, when my heart is heavy and the mind and body are weary, sometimes the best remedy is sleep. Just take a nap. You may say, how biblical, wonderful, a biblical nap. Y'all were thinking this afternoon, that's what I'm doing. I've, ta- I've taken the word of God and I'm applying it to my life. I've taken a nap. Sometimes we need to be replenished. We need to take a nap. It's okay. Referring to Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Vance Havner used to say that if we didn't come apart and rest, we'd come apart. And Elijah was about to come apart. Nothing seems right when you're exhausted. You know, you hear people, they're hungry. And they get angry and they call it hangry. Sometimes when you're exhausted, you just can't think right. You don't make wise decisions. You say things to people you shouldn't say. You hurt the people that are closest to you when you're exhausted. Listen, I've been there. At one point in my life, I was working two jobs. I had to be at a job at 5 a.m. in the morning. I got off at, I think it was uh, 2 o'clock. It took me about 30 minutes to get home. I had to be at my next job at 4 o'clock. I worked till 11 p.m. that night. I was exhausted. That was about a month of my life, and I said, that's it. I ain't doing that no more. It was crazy. Working in Jacksonville, Alabama, driving from, from Welburn Community. It took me 35, 40 minutes to get up there. Had to be there at 5. You only got a 20-minute break for a lunch. And then I'd get off at 2. Took me another 30 minutes to drive home, ate supper. And then from 4 to 11 o'clock, I was working at Walmart and dealing with Walmart people. So you know good and well I was exhausted. You know what I mean? I'm a Walmart person, so anybody who shops at Walmart, don't take it personal. And, and I worked there for seven years. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, I was exhausted. You need rest. You need to take a nap. Sometimes you need to do that. And we, when we are exhausted in all facets of life, we need to rest. We have spoken about rest in our series when, we, when I preached on Genesis on Wednesday nights, taught about that. We need rest. The Lord even gave us a day of rest. Even when God the Father, who really is never exhausted, he still had a Sabbath, and he did that for us. He said, this is how you rest. Take a day off. Not that he needed it, but he wanted us to learn that. We need to rest. Appropriate times of rest are approved times of rest from the Lord. And notice what the text says. He lay and slept under a broom juniper tree. Then later in verse 6, lay down again. The Lord didn't chastise his rest. The Lord knew Elijah needed it for the next move. Because he knew the next move was not going to be in fear. Because it was going to be in faith. There's an old Greek saying, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. In other words, if you're living under constant, relentless stress, you will finally break under the pressure. That's what Charles Swindoll said. Sometimes when you and I are spent, we need to just rest. We need approved replenishing. Take a nap. Lie down, remove distractions, and be replenished. In, verse, in the latter part of verse 5 and verse 7, we see appropriate touch. It says, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And then there in verse 7 again, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. Listen, this is, this is the angel of the Lord. We need the Lord to touch us when we are worn and weary and depressed. The Lord touched him and gave him command to rise and eat. Then again in verse 7, he tells him to arise and eat and eat, for the journey is too great for you. 
The Lord knows what we need when we need it. Sometimes it's replenishing through rest. Sometimes it's an appropriate touch from the Lord. How do you receive that? You receive that by getting in the word. You receive that by not forsaking to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That's how you get appropriate touch. Sometimes the Lord puts people in our lives for healthy and healing touch. A hug at the right time, a pat on the shoulder, a fist bump, or an embrace can all be exactly what someone needs for the moment. Sometimes somebody just needs a shoulder to cry on. They need someone to listen to them. Appropriate touch can soften depression. And then safe travels. Look at what else it says there in the latter part of verse 7 and in verse 8. It says, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So Elijah arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of the Lord 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Notice also the Lord encouraged and allowed Elijah to travel where he needed to go. It was ultimately for the purpose of God, but God told him when it was good for him to move. God's goodness knows when we are healthy in all aspects of life to move on. You know, sometimes people just say, I want to move on, and they're still hurt. They're tired. They're exhausted. So where they go next, it's not beneficial to them nor anybody else because they, ain't true, they haven't truly rested in the Lord. You've got to rest in the Lord. The Lord wants us healthy in all aspects of life. He wants us healthy spiritually with Him, emotionally within ourselves, mentally with others, and physically for the duration of our time on earth. He knew when it was best for Elijah to move, and you could trust He knows when it's best for you to move. Traveling safely is an approved action by God to help, soft, help in softening the effects of depression. And lastly, in this portion of Scripture, there's good conversation. You need to have good and appropriate conversation. Look there, verses 9 and 10. It says that Elijah went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so Elijah responded. He had good conversation. I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children have forsaken your covenant. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Elijah arrives in Horeb. Remember he went out into the wilderness for, the day, uh, for a, a day's journey. He's out there and he finds a cave. Yet again God is providing shelter for his own. And upon settling in the cave the Lord comes to him and asks him a question. He says... What are you doing here, Elijah? Again, notice, the Lord wasn't rebuking him or instructing him at this time. He was just asking, what are you doing here, Elijah? You ever ask somebody that? You know, like if you got a child, what, what are you doing here? It's not that you're, you're chastising them. You're wondering if they really know what they're doing at this point. You ever ask that question? I have. <laughs> The Lord wanted to know if Elijah knew why he was really there. Elijah explains why he thinks he is there and begins explaining the downfall of God's people. He says, first, he recognizes his own efforts. I am zealous for the Lord God of hosts. And this is the first time this God of hosts is used in the Bible. Then he recognizes the failure of the children of Israel in three different ways. They forsook the Lord's covenant. They tore down the Lord's altars. They killed the prophets. With a sword. And then he recognized the people's desired outcome is basically to kill him. He says, and they want to kill me. They've already done all this evil and they want to kill me. But, but the Lord's like, why are you here? Why are you here? 
The Lord begins this conversation with Elijah asking a probing question. I do want to tell you this, though. Lies do not like questions, while the truth will welcome them. Lies don't like questions. The truth will welcome questions. The Lord asked the question of Elijah of his purpose on Mount Horeb and in the cave, and we, we have heard Elijah's response, which is informative of why he came here, but why is he here? God has a purpose, even in Elijah's fearful cross-country journey. He's got a reason for it. You know, for us today, the Lord asks us questions through his word. That's where a lot of the questions come for us. Sometimes we get defensive, don't we? Oh, but Lord, I did this. Oh, but Lord, I did that. Oh, but Lord, this, that, and the other. Somebody did this to me, so I've got a reason why I can do this back to them. Sometimes we get humbled. Sometimes we get humiliated. Prayerfully, hopefully, we would just be humble before the Lord and not get defensive so that we will get humiliated. You know, are you prepared for appropriate conversations with the Lord, good conversations with the Lord? Can you handle God's questions to you? You know, Job, Job said some things to God, and God said, put on your big boy pants, I'm fixing to ask you some questions. Basically, that's in today's language. He said, pull up your pants and tighten up your belt. I'm fixing to ask you, where were you when I created the world? You know? God's got some questions for you. He was much more gentle here with Elijah. Elijah had gone through a lot. Elijah was fairly alone because the prophets were hidden in caves. They weren't really coming out to help him a whole lot. He was pretty much alone, but the Lord was with him. You and I must pursue Christ and be ready to answer by truly taking in where God has brought us and how he has brought us to our current situation. Are you thinking through your situation this way? Are you dwelling on other people? You know, he's talking about his fathers. He's talking about the children of Israel. Are, are, you, are you worried about other people? Or are, you, are you concerned with what Christ has for you where you currently are? And then when we are dwelling, uh, when we are dwelling more on other people and focusing on them, comparing, we are placing ourselves in the grasp and the bondage of depression. The comparison trap is a depression grave. When we compare ourselves to our fathers, when we compare ourselves to the children of Israel, when we compare ourselves to other people, we don't compare ourselves to other people, we compare ourselves to Christ. And when we do, Christ, Jesus has enough grace for the fact that we fall short. But if you compare yourself to man, man a lot of time has no grace for you. They won't have any grace for you most of the time. That's not fair to everybody, okay? But many a times you won't find a whole lot of grace in mankind, but you'll find a lot of grace in Christ. To deal with depression after the victory, we need to take time for personal care. Replenish. You need to replenish. You need to rest. You need to take safe travel. You need to have good conversation. This, that's what you need to do. It'll help for personal care. And personal care is grounded in the pursuit of a personal relationship with Jesus and in turn being in the presence of God. Let's look at the last, uh, last few verses. last few verses, 11 through 18. And I'm going to try to go through these quickly. Personal interaction. Look there in verse 11 through 14. It says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still 
small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds with the same response. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. We need to be in the presence of God, and we need to have personal interaction with God. Don't crutch on somebody else. Take time in prayer. The Lord told exact, the Lord told Elijah exactly where to stand for his presence in their interaction. We should come as close to the Lord as the Lord will allow us to come. In this portion of Scripture, it's a well-known text. It's a well-known text. We have the presence of three natural events that normally accompany the presence of God. They're called theophanies is what they're called. We have the wind. It tore the mountain and broke the rocks, but the Lord wasn't in it. We have the earthquake. It shook the mountain. The Lord wasn't in it. We have the fire, and it burned the mountain, but the Lord wasn't in it. We have a still, small voice, and here we find the Lord. From the recognition of the voice, Elijah knew God was going to interact with him, but in a different way than before. Elijah prepared himself in a different way. The Lord does not always present himself the same every time. He doesn't present himself the same every time. You look through the Old Testament, it was the burning bush. There was the, bur the furnace that floated between the, the split sacrifices. God showed up in many different ways. The angel of the Lord appeared before Gideon underneath the tree there when Gideon was hiding out. He appears in different ways. The Lord, we, we can find common occurrences, but the Lord, for the purpose of his message, may present himself differently so that we may receive the message more openly. We, he may do that. Come to us in a different way. What do I mean? The Lord was about to ask Elijah the same question he had asked earlier. Right? He asked him the same question as he asked earlier. The Lord did not come in the same way, but his word did not change, nor did his question. God's word will not change. His word will not change. But we may need to change to the word. We need to change. The Lord was preparing again for Elijah's heart to change. Personal interaction for us today is commonly through prayer. Prayer does not change God. People think that when they pray, they're changing God's mind. No. Prayer changes you and I to better understand God. That's what prayer does. Prayer does not change God. If prayer changes God, you've got more power than God. And how dare we think that? But what prayer does, prayer changes us to better understand God and His will. It sanctifies us. It sets us apart. It, it gives us a better comprehension of God's will. We may not always understand it, but it gets us closer to Him. And because it was a different interaction, we see that Elijah wrapped his face preparing for this different interaction with the Lord. The only issue for Elijah was the Lord's question didn't change. And unfortunately, at this time, neither did Elijah's response, did it? The Lord comes back to us. Sometimes he'll come back to us two and three or more times. But his word does not change. But have we changed by his word? 
God was warning Elijah to change. Why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here? Can you give me the reason? And Elijah didn't change. He didn't think it through. And then he has this expression of God on the mountainside. There is wind. There's earthquake. There's fire. Something should change in your mind about God. You know what it is? He is with you. You're living in fear. You ran in fear. You're hiding in fear. You're, you're, everything's in fear. God said he's not giving us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of sound mind and doctrine. Know who Christ is. He knew who God was, and he still ran in fear. You and I know who Christ is. Are you still running in fear? His word has not changed. And Elijah's hiding in a cave. And the Lord says, put on, put it on, change. The, the interaction is going to be different. But listen, God still doesn't yell at him. I know I'm getting a little loud right now. But the Lord speaks to him in a still small voice. Because there's times when we are in a state of depression. Somebody hollering at you ain't going to work too well, is it? No. When you're in a state of depression, sometimes you just need somebody to softly come in and speak to you and help lift you up out of that darkness. And that's what the, the Lord knows. I said this a moment ago. The Lord knows what you need when you need it. He knew Elijah didn't need. Elijah didn't need that wind coming in and ripping and tearing at him. He had already done some cutting on him at the brook Cherith, right? The Lord knew he didn't need an earthquake. He didn't need his life to be shaken. He had done that at, at Zarephath when he was being smelted down and then there was death in the household he was living in. He knew he didn't need that. He knew he didn't need fire. What he needed was that still small voice. The Lord knows what you and I need when we need it. We've got to go to him and trust him. Trust his goodness I'm going to stop right here today because I, I, I think that maybe this is where the Lord needs me to stop maybe today you just need to hear that still small voice the Lord had some more work for Elijah to do to go put some people in leadership and, and because he was going to I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis of this he, he went and told them you know, who's going to be stepping up next in leadership in different countries, and then Elisha was going to replace him. And he tells him, you know, Elijah, you may not think that what you've done matters, but what you, ha what you have done does matter. Because Hazael, who he doesn't kill, Jehu's going to kill, and who Jehu doesn't kill, Elisha's going to kill by the sword. And we're going to get rid of all this pagan worship. And we're going to do it because you've been faithful. And even in this hardship... Because even in this, it still doesn't reveal to us that Elijah has come out of a depression. But what it's saying is, is this, God is still using him. So in this still small voice here, you may be struggling with something, but you might be near the edge of the end of it. But the Lord says, I still got a purpose for you. There's still work for you to do. Don't disqualify yourself just yet. Qualification comes by the Lord, not by you. Trust the Lord. 
He has something for you. 